For this episode of Coffee with Closers, I'm sitting down with Chris Rudick Rapp. He's the co-founder and CEO of Sendoso, the leading sending platform for sending direct mail and corporate gifts. During my conversation, Chris shared some practical advice for sales leaders and marketers on how to leverage gifts and direct mail as a way to increase engagement and response rate uh, for your sales and marketing program. So stay tuned for my conversation with Chris. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Coffee with Closers, where business leaders share insights on how to build businesses from the ground up and best practices for innovating in their industry. Hey, Chris, I'm super excited to have you join me for this episode of Coffee with Closers. Yeah, really glad to be here. Most certainly. Well, every entrepreneur has a story of how they over, overcame obstacles to become an entrepreneur. And you have a, a pretty int- interesting story. Uh, from a very young age, you've been an entrepreneur. So you want to share a little bit about that journey? Yeah. So, you know, I'd say I was, you know, kind of a b- born entrepreneur. I remember way back in the day, like selling mistletoe and, you know, hustling to, to make money. Uh, and then in college, started a company called All Student Rentals, which was a, a website for, for college students to find housing, uh, rent, pay their rent online, find roommates, was able to get a little bit of funding from the university for that, um, and then ended up selling that to another company, moved to San Francisco, uh, worked in sales for about eight years, and then started Sendoso. Yeah, I mean, that, that's crazy. You were actually still uh, you know, trying to build business while, while in school and trying to make some money on the side. Uh, and actually was able to exit off of that too. That's an interesting story. Yeah, I mean, it was fun too because I was able to meet a lot of people and really uh, learn a lot, almost like a you know a university you know in itself in terms of learning how to start a startup in college. Um, that really paid dividends, and you know even took out a little bit of student loans to help fund it, which was kind of a scary moment, but uh, it paid off. Yeah, and so obviously you went from sales and to become an entrepreneur and started a, a business and you're a sales professional, now a founder. So talk to us a little bit about that idea for Sendos and how that came about. Yeah, so after selling my first company out of college, I really realized that I didn't know enough to want to start another company and I wanted to learn from other entrepreneurs. So uh, sales came natural to me. And so I spent about a decade in software sales in San Francisco uh, prior to starting uh, Sendoso. And so while I was at one of my last companies at TalkDesk prior to starting, you know, I found myself uh, as a salesperson, and most people are, you're prospecting, you're trying to, you know, find new clients, you're trying to make current clients happy. And I would, you know, send out a gazillion emails and, you know, started to, wanting to get more creative. And I found myself writing handwritten notes, you know, packing boxes of swag or printed collateral um, or going on Amazon, finding quirky gifts and, and packing it up and, and or repacking it up with a note, shipping it out. And it all worked really well. I just dreamed up of this one day, I had this dream of like, why can't I just click a button in Salesforce and someone sends it out for me? And so that was kind of the aha moment that led to the current day Sendoso, which, you know, for those guests listening who don't know what Sendoso is, we're a sending platform that helps other companies send out, you know, direct mail, corporate gifts, swag, handwritten notes, you know, you name it, we can send it. Yeah. So obviously, you know, the, this concept is nothing new, right? Like yeah. everyone knows, I mean, in the past, the field reps would drop in and, you know, give some donuts or whatever the case might be that that's been around forever. But I think with us having more people doing in how inside sales, this is extremely important to have a technology like this to enable them to do more right, ex- with ex- their day. 
Exactly. And I think the, the some of the added benefits that I saw was like, like you said, you can everyone was kind of doing this before it was a hundred billion dollar industry. It was just offline and siloed. And so bringing in, you know, data into this, bringing in tracking into your CRM and, and other tools, bringing in workflow integrations into your marketing automation or your sales engagement tools um, and being able to make it something that you can operationalize and do every day was kind of the aha moment instead of this was on your to do list always, but it was just so much effort that it would always get pushed down. Like, okay, do I really want to write a handwritten note right now? Probably not. I've got something else to do. And so we made it, we tried to simplify it to a point where you could do it every day. Yeah. So talk to us a little bit about, you know, obviously you touched on, you know, the tracking capabilities and things of that nature. And we know, you know, every one of us gets a ton of emails and nobody really enjoys that, but everybody loves to get some sort of a gift, right? Yep. Uh, so how has, uh, from your data that you've collected from having hundreds and thousands of companies using your platform and probably thousands of sales reps, so like the impact of having some sort of a you know handwritten note or some sort of a gift, what kind of lift do they see from response rate, engagement, things of that nature? Yeah. So, you know, there's, we have some specific case studies. There's about 50 of them on our website. If you want to read like what was sent, how it was sent, what's the results. Um, and so the, I'd say that's where I can give you the exact specifics if you're curious, but in general, we see salespeople using it, you know, uh, to outbound, uh, to set meetings. Um, and depending on, you know, different scenarios, they're seeing a lift in their, you know, sequences that include, uh, something physical or some kind of digital gift. Um, and we also see it into the customer life cycle too, where customers are, our, uh, you know, CSMs, account managers are using it too. Yeah, and even I'm assuming even with employee onboarding too, right? Sending, especially if they're remote, uh, being able to send them, press a button and have their swag sent to them before their start of date. Um, which yeah. can also be extremely useful in the HR department as well. 100%. And, you know, I was in sales, so our first use case was sales related, but we saw a ton of organic usage around kind of the HR employee use case. And that has taken off as a, a, a huge thing, especially during COVID and everyone being remote. So obviously you understood the need for salespeople having immediate access to being able to send gifts. So how did this marketing evolution came into the picture with integration with marketing automation and based on deal stages, uh, based on lead lifecycle stages or lead activities, uh, being able to trigger certain sort of gifts and things like that? Yeah, so, you know, I like I said, I was the original kind of uh, buyer. I was kind of scratching my own itch as a salesperson. And I realized, we realized pretty quickly once we started selling the software that salespeople or sales leaders didn't always have budget. You know, they, um, and uh, the other thing was, we realized pretty early on that marketing um, historically might've done some sort of direct mail or gifting in like a batch CSV kind of uh, attempt. And so while salespeople were our end users and still are, and there's tens of thousands of sales reps using our platform, uh, we really realized that selling into marketers um, and and having this kind of alignment where marketing could pick up some of the budget for it, they could control maybe some of the content or some of the items, but then let sales click and send was a winning solution. Um, and so we now we go to market, we sell both into sales and marketing leadership, and it's a very you know uh, in sync uh, you know really aligned strategy. And I know, especially in the SaaS sector, this is a, a thing, right? They're always sending gives and swags and all those things are very highly regarded as part of the marketing hacks. But not so in other industries like manufacturing and some of the other professions, like they, this is kind of not a priority. So have you seen any trends in terms of the companies or industries that is adapting this sort of a model to uh, kind of plug this into their marketing and sales ecosystem? 
Yeah. So we have, we, you know, we've got uh, real estate, banking, financial services, insurance. We do have some manufacturing. So I think that, you know, for more forward thinking, you know, SDRs and AEs and sales reps, uh, they're bringing this into their, their outreach. And uh, we also follow in the footsteps of, you know, the sales ops and the outreaches who are modernizing, you know, the entire world's sales processes. And so because we integrate with them, because we partner and co-sell with them, you know, their success equals our success too and so you know they're modernizing you know the way salespeople engage so that's been helpful for us too and 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 sandoza is not just a technology there's a big behind the scene um, machine that has to operate to make all this work right because you're actually hand fulfilling a lot of these parts and pieces that goes into boxes and being able to ship so how did all of that orchestration come about when you built this company especially as a startup trying to build, you know, a technology company and then also having to address the logistics side of it. Yeah, so you nailed a, a pretty important part that we're, you know, part software and we had to build a world-class software and, and, and SaaS platform. And then we have this world-class logistics and fulfillment infrastructure too. So we operate some of our own warehouse facilities where we're kidding, we're storing, we're do, writing notes. Uh, we then have dropship partners and some other 3PLs worldwide. Uh, but yeah, there's a huge underlying you know, fulfillment component. There's special software we built just to help uh, with that side of the house. And it's also one of our key advantages and something that's, you know, hard to replicate. And as you alluded to in the early days, you know, be, you know, building software, you could just spin up another server, but for warehousing and physical space, you know, we had, we've, you know, had to continue to um, enhance our, our footprint of how, how our warehouse, um, you know, work and, and the size of them. And so, you know, we our, our first warehouse was probably the size of a bedroom. Our our current one is, you know, uh, size of a football stadium. It's huge. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean that that's the the big, uh, I guess the 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 first mover advantage that you have, right? Someone else to come into this market, trying to replicate what you've done both on the technology and the logistics side. Also, to capture the market share is it's a lot difficult to do. Um, so that's always a, a good good sector to be in, right? Where you have the protection to kind of own that market sector. And I don't think there's anybody else that actually doing, I mean, there's a lot of companies that do gifting, but nothing to the extent of what Sendoza is capable of doing. Yeah, uh, from what I exactly. There's some small companies out there that are trying to copycat us, but are maybe taking shortcuts or don't have the breadth of service or the offering or the marketplace selection. Um, but I, you know, there'll probably be more copycats as we continue to, to grow and scale. And people are, you know, seeing this it's though, like you said, it's, it's hard to copycat because there is the physical logistics component mixed with the software component. Most certainly. So how has, you know, like you said, almost a decade you spent in sales and then you started this company. Now it's about four or five years going. So how has your approach on sales and marketing evolved uh, as you got more experience and actually started your own company? Yeah. So I think, you know, seeing just sales and marketing in general evolve is something that, you know, we're we try to be world class in terms of how we uh, drive our sales and marketing forward. I think some of the the trends I'm seeing are around just the, the more alignment around marketing and sales and working together more than ever before or software that helps people, you know, work together better. Um, so I think, you know, Sendoso falls in that category where marketing and sales end up working together. Maybe sales become mini marketers at times. Um, and I think, you know, there's other software that br bridges those together too, where, you know, there's like the, the, 
sales engagement software that marketing can chime in on with the SDRs in terms of, you know, what's the content that should be in these outbound messages. There's, you know, the enablement tools like Highspot where you can, or Seismic where you can, marketing's, you know, putting content in front of salespeople and there's a collaboration. There's like the gongs of the world where marketing can hear what salespeople are saying and update their messaging. So <clears throat> I think the sales tech and MarTech stack um, are converging more than ever before, and technology is making you know the revenue team better um, versus you know maybe five ten years ago they were very siloed in their efforts. Yeah, most certainly, and obviously with this you know this fast moving change, there's um, companies have to adapt, um, and and people having to you know the the field sales reps had to be in inside sales reps and. They had to now start using CRM and they couldn't drop off a box of, you know, donut and now they got to use technology, right? So all of this is actually kind of accelerating the entire industry as a whole uh, from both sales and marketing side. Exactly. I think salespeople are, uh, like you said, with field sales and outside sales having to come inside, they've had to adopt technology. Um, and so it's been uh, overall, you know, uh, evolution of, of how sales has been around. But I think the same tactics of trying to build rapport, create a relationship, be personal, you know, get creative, those like soft skills are ever important. Um, and automation will never you know, uh, completely kill creativity or completely kill this human rapport you're building. So it's like, what is the balance of using these interpersonal skills with software? And if you can get that right, you're going to be a, you know, you're going to crush quota forever. It's kind of like what, you know, you all hear about ABM, right? Account-based marketing, mm -hmm. but essentially account-based strategy has been ever, been around forever, right? Like in the from the yeah. old days of sales that they were always looking at the named account and go to a territory and then hitting up those accounts. Those, the, the, the strategies of what all the same, the playbook is almost the same, but I think the, the, the time and, you know, time and technology has changed some of the approach in how we might execute some of those things. Exactly. So obviously, you know, going from an, you know, individual contributor to a leader to now founding your own company and now owning company vision, you know, the, the raising capital, overseeing the, the growth of the organization and building team and having advisors. I mean, the role that you play today is completely different from what you had as a sales rep. So how did you prepare yourself to be able to take, undertake that sort of a, a big job? Uh, I didn't. I just jumped in, <laughs> learned by doing. But I would say that uh, a sales background has proven super successful in certain parts of the business. So, you know, we're about 450 employees now, and uh, many of those employees, the majority of them, I've had a part in recruiting them. And I think that sales is, uh, especially in the early days, you know, you got to build that core team and continue to grow that team. And when you're just a no-name company, you've got to sell you the vision, the dream to these new employees. So my sales background helped a ton in uh, the recruiting and growing of our team. Um, my sales background also helped a, a ton in terms of, you know, venture capital. And we've raised, you know, 50 million uh, plus in capital with um, more to come. And so that is something that, you know, as a salesperson, I treated that like a sales process. You know, I got inbounds, I did some outbounds, I ran a, you know, a demo per se. Um, and even if I got a no, it didn't matter. I wasn't, you know, just, you know, sales trained me to get some no's and get some yeses. And so mm -hmm. um, I think that really helped me too um, in terms of just, you know, being successful. And then our first customers, you know, I think getting your first customers and starting to get traction and, and you know, momentum, being a, a previous salesperson really helped. It was, you know, a, a no-brainer for me to start, you know, outreaching to people day zero to get customers. And so that really accelerated our early traction too. 
Yeah, and what, what other things are you doing in terms of personal development, right? Because I think leadership is something that we can, you know, grow into, right? And especially when you're asked to do it, right, you have no other choice but step into that role. So are there things that you're doing proactively to kind of build your leadership skills and grow in areas that you may not have been strong in the past? Yeah, one of the biggest things I I did, and I started this about three and a half years ago, is I put together this personal industry advisory group. Um, and this group has, you know, CROs, CTOs, CEOs, uh, et cetera in it. Um, and really my goal was I wanted to surround myself with really smart people and surround myself with people that had great networks too. And so this I put together this advisory group and now this advisory group, you know, I can, you know, uh, have as a sounding board for ideas. Um, you know, I've, if we're taking initiatives, I can ask them for things. Um, and it's uh, also helpful for introductions or, or hiring. And so this uh, advisory group, uh, which is substantially more than most people think, uh, you know, there's 100 plus uh, folks in this group, um, has just been incredibly helpful as I've scaled the company. Can you speak a little bit about how you were able to formulate that? And is there a kind of structuring how frequently you meet or kind of the format of how those meetings go? Yeah, so what I uh, do, is there's like an advisor agreement and I, as, as a thank you offer up some shares in the company. Um, so that's kind of a typical formal advisory program that you know some people might do. Um, I've formalized it more where I send out like a monthly update with that update. I also then include a couple of asks um, that are optional and that's my typical cadence is you know once or twice a month. Um, prior to COVID, there was some like quarterly happy hours and, and get togethers and dinners, probably do a little bit more of that post-COVID, um, but ultimately it, um, there's also some one-on-ones where, you know, I might have an ask and in that ask is like, hey, can you book time on my calendar if you're free to talk about, you know, X, Y, Z. And so I'll be doing some one-on-one meetings or group meetings with advisors per that too. Um, but mm-hmm. it's, uh, I think the difference is really, I, I saw it as a, uh, you know, a much larger group than maybe more people think, oh, I've got like three advisors, that's all I need. My goal is to have more of these micro advisors who could help once in a while, but didn't have to commit hours a day or hours a week. And it's uh, been a you know a great way for me to get exposure to many more people that have you know niche expertise. Do you? I mean, obviously, thinking about giving away equity in your company that's actually fast growing, it's it's a big give, uh, even though it's not demanded of them to contribute as much. So, I mean, is it there? Is there come a time like, hey, if you don't contribute at all, your equity goes away or anything like that as a check and balance? Um, no, I mean, my buy-in with this is like, hey, this is, I'm not asking for, uh, you know, maybe once every six months, maybe in six months I have an ask where it's so important that their 10 minutes of their time is worth 10 years in learnings. So it's not necessarily about the quantity of involvement, but the quality of involvement. And uh, I, I find myself trying to make that um, uh, that program to be more effective because it's not asking for so much. Um, and, and if an advi- if a couple of my advisors are, you know, I don't hear from them for many months, it's not, not something that I worry about. Makes sense. And obviously, you know, like you, you've been at this for quite some time, you've started multiple companies and, and obviously a very successful tech company are you building. What's kind of the why behind what you do? Yeah, I mean, so the why, I guess there's the why behind Sedosa, which was to really scratch an itch. And I saw a pain point. It was a huge, you know, 100 billion plus market um, with, you know, uh, an offline solid world that needed software. And so I think all that is like the recipe for why companies usually get started, which is you're trying to solve a big problem in a big market. 
um, with a, a great business model. And so that culminated into why I started Sendoso. I think from an entrepreneur's perspective, like why I like entrepreneurship, I think it's part of, you know, part the challenge of like taking something from zero and, and, and scaling it out and everything that's going wrong. It's a very dynamic role in that every day is different. Um, and then I think it's also, you know, the end goal and the outcome of, you know, wealth creation too. I think that's also, you know, in my eyes, uh, something that, uh, why I want to be a founder and an entrepreneur too. So talk to me a little bit about, you know, you've mentioned earlier, you know, being in the sales role, you've been able to kind of sell the vision and things like that. What are some areas where you see entrepreneurs failing when they're communicating the vision to the company or able to get the, the, the team that they need to drive the growth that they need? Are they, have you observed some, some, you know, obvious mistakes that entrepreneurs and leaders make? Yeah. I mean, some things that come to mind, one might be, uh, over micromanaging and not delegating. I think some entrepreneurs failed to delegate early on. And, you know, I always knew that I, you know, my best job was to get to hire people that were better than me and everything else, because I think as early founders, you're doing everything. And, you know, best case scenario is I have no job left and everyone else is doing everything around me better than I could do. And I'm just leading that team and, and helping them. Uh, and I'm a resource for them. Um, so I think, you know, delegation and not, um, or not delegating is, is a fail. I think two is, um, uh, Meaningfully thinking about company culture is important too. I think you know while it's could be something that you don't have time for, uh, it's something that if you are a good uh, entrepreneur, you know culture can help uh, scale the company. And and so I think some entrepreneurs maybe don't think about that. They're only focused on you know their product. Um, maybe other failures is you know. Uh, you know, not asking for help and just trying to learn. I think that my advisor uh, kind of group is one area where I, you know, if I, I ask for help in certain areas and, and, you know, I'm not, a, I'm not a know at all. I don't, there's lots of things I don't know. And so the advisory group has helped with that. Um, so some of the things I, that stick out in my head. Yeah. I mean, if I can kind of ask some clarifying questions, because I think the first thing you talked about the delegation and, um, and obviously just kind of giving, you know, giving the responsibility, trusting people more than just micromanaging whether or not, they're able to do that task. So which also kind of come to come into picture, especially as you're growing super rapidly, right? You went from like zero to almost 500 employees uh, in a span of like two or three years. So essentially when it comes to that, like systems process and, you know, very much methodical approach on how you solve different tasks and how you delegate certain work. How did you get started on that process? Because I think as a startup, as a founder, you're trying to, you know, have the vision for the product. You're trying to hire people, you're training people. You're also trying to raise capital you know, all of that, how, how did you even like find the time or even the, um, the, the, the method, you know, method to be actually, actually start building some systems process and checklists and things like that. Yeah. So I think very early I was obsessed with Asana and kind of mapping everything out in terms of like d different departments or functional areas with like backlog to do's. I think as a founder in the very early days, when you maybe have, you know, five, 10 people, there's, or even just two people, there's, instant there's infinite things that you could do and so you you know then that could overwhelm you and so my, my strategy in the very early days was just like okay i'm just going to create a million tasks i'm going to hmm. you know chip away 10 of them today and you know that's it i can go home sleep and do that um and just disconnect and i think over time then you find other people that um you hire to do that and they have their own processes of how they get work done um but you know i think it's really you know having a original process and and, and i think as you scale it's 
you know, learning other people, how they've done it at past companies and can you improve on your process um, and, and collaboration and, uh, you know, as you scale, get better every day by doing that. Um, so uh, yeah, that's how I, that was my approach is just like being very task management focused. Um, and then I think as we scaled, getting good at hiring people and then getting good at instilling collaboration and productivity and, you know, having all hands and really continuing the vision to get everyone continue to be bought in on the bigger picture, but making sure that there's tools and software in place for them to be efficient in their kind of day to day getting things done, kind of blocking and tackling. Yeah, I mean, I think, like you said, I think early days is just overwhelming, especially yeah. as a, you know, even in, you know, especially smaller, mid sized organization, that struggle never you never overcome that struggle, mm -hmm. you know, unless you're raising capital and hiring a lot of top talent to be able to fill in a lot of void that you as a founder cannot fill. Um, so I think your, your point is, is extremely on point. Uh, the other question I think you mentioned about the culture, because I, I know we have everybody talk about culture, right? But practically living it out and especially as the leader, right? You have to be the one kind of driving that culture and designing it and then obviously seeing it come through. So are, are there any practical advice that you have making your culture um, uh, something that every every employee that really buys in and follows. Yeah, so I think, you know, there's a couple important things that we did early on and things that we're continuing to do. One is really try to promote a work-life balance. I know a lot of people say that, but, you know, I lead by example. I'm not working like 20-hour days. Uh, we also very early on had this uh, vacation bonus where if you take a vacation, we actually pay you money to take a vacation. Um, and so that really instilled this, okay, like, oh, I, I can't not, like, I'm going to lose money if I don't take a trip right you know, now. And so that really iterated this, you know, and promoted this work-life balance. And so I think you can find, you know, if you want to have a good work-life balance, like prove it, like, you know, and for us, it was paying people, you know, uh, money to take a vacation and they posted a picture in a Slack channel. And we created this culture of like, get out, have fun with your family. Uh, so that was one of the, the things that, that we did there. I think there's, you know, other things from an executive standpoint where, you know, people feel like we're kind of one team, one dream. I'm, I'm, con I'm, you know, I might be working with an SDR one day trying to help them get a meeting or the next day working with a product manager. You know, I, as a leader, I'm not, you know, too cool for school, so to speak. We're like, oh, what's the CEO doing? He, uh, no one knows. So I even have a, uh, a weekly or now by uh, bi-monthly all hands where one of the topics is behind the CEO scenes, people are getting an insight too into to, to my day to day. And I think that instills this kind of more flat um, area. And, and I think that creates a, a culture of collaboration and a culture of people wanting to chip in more. Um, mm. And so those are some of the, the key things. I think we got lucky too that our product is really fun and, you know, people are sending pinatas and you know, cupcakes and, you know, bottles of booze. And so our customers, customers are smiling, sharing pictures. And so that, uh, you know, product uh, kind of uh, fun uh, outcomes have also made our company culture and our brand more quirky and, and fun. And, you know, I think that's something that we just uh, saw in the early days and just doubled down on that as well. Yeah, and I think you know the the tech SaaS industry really made this culture thing front and center for our leaders today. Because I think you know in the past you work at an organization, they have like this you know organizational whatever you want to call those, and you just culture code, but it never really was person you know personified in anybody. Yeah. Uh, but I think the SaaS companies are making that a reality. So obviously as founders and as leaders, you know the one thing we don't have enough of is time. And so I'm curious to learn you know what are some time hack that you have in terms of staying productive? Are there any specific um, you know, systems in place that you follow 
to get things done in, in your day? Yeah, so I'm, I'm big on time blocking. I also use this cool call, tool called Clockwise that um, is super helpful in terms of like calendar blocking. Um, I think in terms of other things, uh, I, I use this tool called Feedly that like brings in all these blogs into once and I can quickly read through my news. So I spend maybe, you know, 20 minutes in the morning um, and that's helpful. Um, I've got, uh, I use Upwork quite a bit too. So uh, really with that, I, I, if there's something that I feel like it's taking up too much of my time or I need a VA to do something, I'm, I'm constantly looking for ways that I can make myself more productive by outsourcing to other people. Um, you know, I find myself using uh, other tools like, you know, even simple hacks like using Calendly instead of having to go back and forth for three minutes or five minutes to find a time or, you know, using Loom to record a quick video response to make sure I get the right, um, you know, message across versus like five emails um, or, you know, I use a tool called a text, which I can, um, there's one called text expander, same thing where, you know, if there's things like dropping in a, a typical like email message, I have like 50 things I can just copy and paste in, a, in, you know, a minute. So I think long story short, there's a lot of little mini tools out there to make you more effective. Um, and all of those together, like are, are make you way more effective. Yeah, you know, the funny thing is every sales leader that I've ever asked this question, time blocking was like their number one thing. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if that's like a, a sales, uh, right? Because they block their time for like calls and then mm -hmm. for like follow-ups and for, you know, meetings. So I think that's just like a, 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 a universal method for sales leaders. I, I uh, agree. I think I learned <laughs> it in sales um, and it, you know, transformed the way I act as a CEO and leader. Yeah, and I think you know also it kind of eliminates the you know going after the urgent over the important right. So if you already scheduled in the time for the important things, then the urgent won't overtake that uh, and then kind of derail you from actually focusing on what's most most important. Um, and exactly. I, I, I liked I liked what you said about Upwork. So do you actually have like an executive assistant on top of that? You also need assistance to get things done, or because um, I, I heard you mention about using VA to do certain tasks. Yeah. So right now I actually don't have an executive system that I personally use, but I have virtual assistants that do a lot of different tasks for me that are more one-off. Um, and I found that using all these different tools uh, has been extremely effective in terms of how I manage my day too. Um, so. Yeah. And I'm, I was just curious because I know sometimes explaining something before you delegate can actually take up more time uh, than sometimes you're just doing. So I don't know how you weigh the option and say, well, this is probably better me just taking 10 minutes, create a video, assign it to somebody than actually trying to do this. Uh, That's kind of my take too, is like I, there's a little hesitancy for me to get an AA because it's just like a middle person that will then have to take one step further. And so, um, but, but I think there's, uh, EAs can be super helpful in, in some areas and we, and uh, that can really help you with scheduling and other things that, you know, maybe still take up time that I, but I'm, you know, uh, cautious that I'm spending too much time on. Most certainly. So obviously, you, you know, you're an entrepreneur, probably a lot of people that kind of follow you on LinkedIn and see what you do. Uh, and, and, and obviously finding inspiration from um, Sendozo and what you've built so far. What advice do you have for other aspiring entrepreneurs? I mean, if you're an aspiring entrepreneur and you haven't made the jump, like jump today, like there's no better time. I'd say also if you can, you know, hack things together in your night and weekends in, in the early days to try to drive yourself closer to launch, I think that's a benefit too. 
um, I'd say build a network of advisors. Um, you know, I, in some cases, I, I, I've seen a quote where it's like, it's not what you know, but who you know. And so I really believe in the power of a network and advisors. Um, and then lastly, just like have fun doing it. You know, this is a marathon, uh, not a sprint. And so make sure you, you have fun while you're building. Yeah, and I think it's also kind of seeing the problems, right? Real problems that people have and then trying to solve it. Because I think your story of how you try to hack up a software that would, you know, order something for people when, you know, plays an order through uh, Salesforce. I don't know if you know TK from ToutApp. He mm -hmm. had a very similar story too. He had a product, but that wasn't really getting much traction. So he had to build an email outreach tool to send, tell people about the product that he was building. Then ToutApp actually became his product. So yeah. it's kind of it's crazy. And I think the out... Uh huh? Oh, the, I mean, the best products are, are solving pain points that people have and you can become passionate about it. And yeah, I totally agree. Manny from Outreach has the same story. He was actually in the recruiting business and he wanted to build a, a tool that can actually do outreach to candidates at scale. And then now it turned into a, this mega sales outreach technology. Yep. Uh, completely what wasn't what was designed originally to deal. Interesting story. So obviously knowing what you know today, what advice would you give your younger self? Um, I, I guess my younger self is, I would say just do what I, just do what you got to do. Um, you know, I think my younger self always dreamed big. And so I would say just, you know, dreaming big. Um, I mean, I, I'm extremely happy and fortunate to where I am today. So I, I don't think I would change anything. But when I was younger, my mentality was, you know, be an entrepreneur, think big, um, and it'll all work out. And I think, you know, it, it, it's, it's working out great. And so that's the kind of the men, men, my mental approach back in the day is, is paying off today. Awesome. Well, Chris, I certainly appreciate your time and thanks for the, what you're offering to the, the sales and marketing um, ecosystem out there. And I wish you all the best and hope to stay in touch. Yeah, thank you so much. And for listeners that want to chat with me further, get in touch, feel free to add me on LinkedIn or email me at you know, Chris, it's K-R-I-S at Sendoso.com. Awesome. This episode of Coffee with Closers is brought to you by One IMS a leading digital marketing agency helping businesses win new customers. To request a free marketing ROI audit, please visit oneims.com. If you enjoyed this video, please share it. To make sure you never miss an episode, please subscribe.